great to see you as we continue our study in the book of Exodus and kind of gotten into a, a sub-series uh, here on the tabernacle. There's just so much that we can learn from uh, what God does. And what I come to find is, is that God is an elementary teacher at heart because he understands that we need visuals, just like a good elementary school teacher shows students and he showed Moses in heaven a pattern of the tabernacle and how he could make it. And what's interesting is, is that God shows us how he's to be worshipped. Uh, I'd encourage you, if it's not in the word, then uh, that's not how God's shown us how to worship him. And each of these things that are an image of heaven, the New Testament talks about their application for us, even though we're not physically building uh, objects like this anymore that they have spiritual significance and can be played out in our life in so many ways each object was a reminder to the people of god about his relationship his covenant relationship to them i don't know if you knew this but if you're a follower of christ if you've asked jesus to be the savior of your sins you've entered into a relationship with him where he has promised to be there for you in ways that no person could ever be there for you no spouse no girlfriend no bank account could ever be there for you god provides according to what we need he loves us he cares for us and he's with us and so what i'd like you to do real quick i found online uh, a uh, a note a uh, link a video here on youtube of the tabernacle and so we're just going to turn the sound up first unmute that and we're going to roll this for you just so that you can see the big picture here as we focus back on this but before we do that I want you to know when you came in this morning, you might have gotten a handout. If you haven't, um, we're checking for those right now. Uh, Linda, I think I see you back there. Did we get those handouts handed out? Nope. And so uh, don't sweat it. it. It's one of those, oh, we have some in the room. Okay, so they made them there. If you'd like one of those, just wave your hand. There's just info on there that you could look back again and again and again over that. And so we set it up so that as you're walking in, we have our greeters putting those in your hand, but a lot of work goes into this. This is like a Bible college education for you, except it's going to be a little bit more exciting. How many of you like the smell of fresh bread that's in the room right now? As you walked in, you saw that bread, and you were tempted to take some of it and just take a bite of that. I was, and uh, that has everything to do with what we're going to look at. But right now, as we get the last of those hands uh, on the other side there, Linder, as we get the last of those handed out here, I want you to turn your attention to the screen and just take a look at what the tabernacle actually looked like. Old tabernacle in here, but it just helps to see what that was like for the children of Israel. And what's beautiful is whenever they would be encamped, all around the center where the ark was, on the outside, all of the children of Israel camped according to their families, according to their according to their tribes, as if to protect that which was most sacred to them, as if to keep in the center of their lives that which was most important to them, which was the presence of God. And all of these things, we talked about the altar of sacrifice. We talked about when we took in new members and people that were baptized. We talked about the community and all of those different kinds of things. And today I want to bring our attention to the table of showbread, what is actually referred to in scripture as the bread of presence and that was in the holy place as soon as you walked into the curtain there were two sections dividing it one of them contained this table that had bread on it it had the menorah and the menorah was a depiction not only of us being the light but where did that fire come from it came from the pillar of fire the presence of god and that speaks to the presence of god not just in our life like it's not just us being a light it's that we're a light because the presence of god is in us and he empowers us and enables us to shine the way for others where jesus said let you do your deeds let your good deeds shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven the altar of incense which we'll talk about next week is a prayer but then here we bring our attention to this table of showbread the table of showbread and it's the bread of presence and god says it like this make me a table and so if you would pray with me real quick that god would help us to hear something that will change our trajectory in life 
and that we will be closer to him by giving thanks for what he gives to us day in and day out. Pray with me. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we invite you here to speak through your word. You honor your word above your name. I pray that the word of the Lord would speak into our lives, and although we might be under-entertained, we would be overwhelmed with the truth of your presence, and it would come back to us again and again, week in and week out, month, year, decade, that we would know that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So why a table of showbread? Why, why this, this request? And this is really where the verse comes from here, is Exodus 25, 23 to 30. And I intentionally blew up the part to this that I think that we're going to just make it easy for us, because it says, you shall make me a table. And then he talks about how it's made of acacia wood, and it's overlaid with gold. Remember, we talked earlier that everything outside of the, t- of the holy place and the holy of holies was made of bronze, and bronze is this image of judgment, and rightly so, because the sacrifice for sins, the sacrifices for drawing near to God were there, man getting right vertically with God and horizontally with others through things like the, the free will offering and like the guilt offering. If you wronged somebody, you gave them a bag of money, you offered a sacrifice, it was expensive to get right with people as much as it cost Jesus everything to get right with God. If you are not right with people, but you're right with God, you're not right. You can't be right with God vertically and not be right with people horizontally. James said it like this, if you say you love God who you can see and hate, you can't see and love your, and hate your neighbor who you can see, you lie and the truth is not within you. And he created this offering that was painfully expensive that when you did wrong to your brother or your sister, in fact, the offering, the sin offering, was not as expensive personally as the, as the restitution or the guilt offering was. Because you not only had to offer the sacrifice, you had to bring a bag of money to your neighbor. And I said it like this, I tell you what, if that was still in place, I would be so broke, it wouldn't even be funny. I'd be constantly getting right with people. But the message God wanted to say is that judgment and sacrifice is an expensive, costly thing. To draw near to the presence of God, a peace offering, a free will offering, a grain offering. It was an expensive thing. You can't just expect to show up at church and for God to just show up in your life and change everything. God won't do the legwork if we don't do the footwork. That's what the altar was for. And the brazen laver where you'd wash your hands... But it was, this was what the, the, the bronze is what mirrors used to be made of so that you had to look at yourself honestly. But then as you washed your hands, the blood came off and you no longer saw yourself, you saw the blood. You were made right with God. And until this process was done, it was then that the priests could go behind this veil and they were able to go in and they came into this first section where these three objects were the table of showbread, the menorah, and the altar of incense. And God says it like this, make me a table. Make me a table. Make me a table. And, and he goes on to say that this is not spreading a table. This isn't God spreading a table for us. This is actually us spreading a table for God. This isn't God saying, I'm going to provide for all of your needs. This is us saying, I want a system in place where you remember that it is me that provides for your needs, and I want to instill genuine gratitude within your life for me, for being the one to do it. And it was a nice table. Listen, it wasn't made of paper plates and paper cups, and it wasn't overlaid with gold foil. It was it was the most precious wood in the Middle East, acacia wood. It was overlaid with the most precious metal in all human history, gold, which never tarnishes. You don't need to, you don't need to, um, to, to, to take out the, the ointment and, and buff it up. It never, it looks as new as the day that you find it till the day that you melt it. It's, it's always in great condition. Now in the tabernacle, and let me just give you some information. There were there were stacks of bread on this, but there were a total of 12 loaves representing all 12 tribes of Israel. And so there would be Judah, Manasseh, Simeon, Issachar, Naphtali, and Benjamin, 
Ephraim, and we could go on and on and on of all the different ch children of Israel that, that were according to the tribes that were camping around this place. And each of these had a loaf, and every day fresh bread was put on it. Not only that, but if you look at when Solomon finally built the temple, it went from 12 loaves to 12 tables with 12 shelves on it. In fact, the picture on the right that you're looking at there that looks a little bit weird is pick pretty much one of, one of these tables of showbread with six on one side and six shelves on the other, and each of those had 12 piles of loaves for the tribes of Israel, according to, the, according to the people. Solomon just was over the top. He's like, well, if there's 12 loaves of bread, why don't we get 12 of these tables and put 12 shelves in there and 12 loaves of bread on there? And this was Solomon saying, let's just do it to the next level. That picture actually is one that comes from a place called the Third Temple Institute in Jerusalem. And in there, they have every item for the tabernacle except for the Ark of the Covenant. And that's a whole other discussion, and I, I won't get into that. But those of you going to Israel, this place is a place you could go to on a free time where you could see that they have everything that they need for the temple. And so I remember being there one time, and I said, well, if you've got everything for the temple, then why don't you just simply, what's keeping you from rebuilding the temple? What's keeping you from doing it? I said, where's the, where's the ark? And they say, ah, we know where the ark is. We just, it's just not the time we're waiting for the Messiah. So depending on how you view the book of Revelation, that would be Antichrist, and, and uh, all of these pieces are set, but there's a group of people that have everything that's necessary for the temple. And you can see that with your own eyes right in Jerusalem. So not only that, but it was called the table of the bread of presence. Now hang with me here, because we're going to start out with information, and I believe that this service is going to end with a breakthrough of revelation for us. God's going to visit us this morning. God's going to visit us this morning. He goes on and he says, listen, it's called the bread of presence. And you shall set, let's put the verse back up there. You shall set the bread of presence on the table before me regularly. First of all, the word bread is lechem. This right here that I have, if I was speaking to you in Hebrew, I would say, ani ochelet lechem. I eat bread. And we, the word Lechem is not the word that's used for unleavened bread. It's leavened bread. This tastes pretty good. Sorry. How many of you? <laughs> it's pita bread. Um, but it was the bread of presence. Now, here's what you got to understand. It was the bread of presence that was put before the Lord regularly. Now, we're not Hebrew speakers, and if I could just throw this out there for any students that might be watching online, for any other people... Uh, Pastor Dylan, we keep nudging him that he needs to go and continue his education because he's a brilliant young man. Could you agree with that and affirm that? And he needs, his path for ministry continues. Some denominations don't allow you to minister unless you have a master's. We don't believe in that. We believe that the call of God is for anyone. Uh, but, but there's just some things that you catch with original language, and, and this is one of those places. The, what, if I were to say... You ever hear somebody say, get out of my face, right? So how many of you this week, somebody said, get out of my face, man. If you've got somebody in your face, they're before you, right? They're really before you. The word face, pay, is used like three times in this because if I were to talk about being in the, before the Lord, it means I'm before the face of God, the pay of God. And in fact, when it says the bread of presence, it's, it's literally using that word. There's more than one loaf of bread. So I'd say bread, or this is kind of bad English, but breads. There's more than one. You know how we make that change. Well, if I were to say before uh, br the bread of presence, I would say pay right here. But if I'm saying there's a whole bunch of pay, uh, pays, a whole bunch of breads of presence before the face of God, I would say panim. It's like we add S to make things many. They do this em thing. But they're called the bread of presence. And God it said this. He said, bring it before me regularly. 
daily. This is the same word in Hebrew that's used for the fire. He says, make sure that the fire burns continually and never goes out. Now, what's interesting about the word for bread, can I talk with my mouth full? It's called the bread of presence. It's literally saying, this is the bread that is before the very face of God, and you are to bring it before my face regularly. And God didn't say, I'm going to make you a table. Now, I love David's psalm in 23 where he says, the Lord prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemy. I don't care what you're going through, whether you're here in person or online, uh, how many enemies you have stacked against you. You can sleep and eat calm tonight in peace and stop worrying about what will happen and begin to feast on what God will do for you because he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That's his promise to you. But this table is not God preparing it for you. It's us preparing for him a table that was always before the presence of God. And it's kind of strange. It's like, well, well why? Why is, why is this bread system set up? Why is this whole thing going on the way that it is? What is it that God's trying to teach us? What's God trying to show us? To get that, you got to get behind the story. And it's really, this whole table of the bread of presence comes back to the story behind the table. And it comes down to when God provided manna for them in the wilderness. I don't know. Some of you in this room may know what it is to be hungry. When I had my issues as a young adult, as an, as an adolescent and as a young adult, my addiction... I would, there was a season where I was homeless. And I'll never forget hanging. I had already lifted as much lunch meat and food that I could from the stores. They all knew my face. I had no money at that time, so I couldn't go in these places anymore without getting busted for shoplifting, which would have reset me, brought me back home. So I remember just hanging out at this roadside, and somebody had a turkey sandwich and it was cut in half on an angle, and they ate like two bites of it, and they just threw it in the garbage. And I just remember looking around, and I'm like, I don't need to steal this. And I pulled it out, and I began to eat it, and it had mayonnaise in it. That's why I hate mayonnaise today. And I wasn't in relationship with Christ. I wasn't right with God. There were so many things wrong. And I remember when I came to Christ and I sensed his presence for the first time. And I realized, you know what? It's got to be better at my father's house, even as a servant, than eating in the troughs and the garbage pails of kids. Now, there are other people that are here today that your story goes much deeper than that, but at least this way, too, you know I understand but the story behind the table isn't about like, oh, God's preparing a feast. It comes to the manna. You see, the children of Israel were, they were in Egypt, and the Egyptians made sure they were well-fed with meat and oil and garlic and leeks and bread and all these things that would give them the energy that they needed to do the, the, the nasty work that they did. But they were well-fed. They were really well-fed. And then they went out into the wilderness, and it's actually found in two places. It's found in... Um, Exodus uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 35, and then also you see the same thing happen where God provides manna and quail for them. And they're out in the wilderness. They have no food. There's, there's, there's tons and tons of them. And as they're going through, they say, Moses, why did you bring us out into the wilderness? Why is it that you dragged us out here so that we're going to die of starvation? Thanks for nothing. We, it would have been better for us to go back to Egypt and have sat around the fires 
and there at least, even though we were their slaves, we always ate pots of meat and bread and leeks and garlic and onion, you know, and they went through the, the whole menu and probably talking about that made it hungry. And if you've ever been really, really hungry and have gone days without food, you know what that's like where your stomach starts growling, the idea of food messes with you, the smell of food, they got nothing. There's nothing, they're growing out there, there's no animals they can kill, they, 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 it's hopeless and God, all of a sudden, he turns around and he gets upset with them. See, this is just after they complained about the water of Marah and said, you brought us out here to die of thirst. And God tells Moses, throw the stick in the water and the bit of the salt water turns fresh. And then they drink it. No sooner do they get done complaining about that, we go over to the next scene. Now they realize they've got water, but they've got no food. And what do they begin to do? The same thing you and I do when things don't go the way we want them to. We start to grumble and we start to complain. It's in our nature, it's in our humanity that when we don't have what we want, we think that if we just whine about it that it's going to get met. But they did more than that. They, could, they despaired over it. They blamed over it, right? You ever been at that where something goes wrong and it's like somebody's always looking for someone to blame, and the whole time, God's looking for someone to trust. When you're looking for someone or something to blame, God is looking for you to look to him, to trust him. And so he says to Moses, Moses, by this end of the day, your people, my people, our people, they will eat meat and they will eat bread. And the Bible says that the glory of God descended in the wilderness and lifted, and there was the manna. Now, here's the interesting thing. The word for, and we're going somewhere with this spiritual, so hang tight with me. Sometimes you just got to swim through the, the, the details to get to the detonation of something great. This, in Hebrew, I would call lechem, like we said before, but manna, which God described as the bread of heaven, and he uses the word lechem for it, is not the same thing. And there's a whole bunch of descriptions in that handout I gave you, but the word manna or mana, not manamana for those of you that remember the Muppets. <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, just Google manamana Muppets and you'll, you'll, you'll laugh. But it was actually flakes that fell on the ground, and the Hebrew word for man manna is actually, what? I mean, they understood what this was. They understood what meat was, but then God's, think about this, God's glory fell down. The cloud of God's presence fell down, and when it lifted, it left behind this glistening kind of a flaky, snappy bread that tasted like honey and seed, and it was, it was delicious, and they ate it, and, and as they, but they didn't know what it was. They're like, it's not bread, but it is, and it's not honey, but it is. What, what is it? And they said, Manna, what? Name your next child that. What's this one? What? I don't know. It tasted like frost. It, it, it looked like frost. It was like white seed and honey. It could be boiled, baked, or rod. But here's the way that God set it up. God set it up so that you could collect just enough for what you needed. But if you tried to store it, it would rot. You see, we think that we'll be safe, secure, and happy if we have a big enough bank account, a 401k. We qualify for all the government programs. God says, oh, no, 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 no. The government doesn't provide for you, and you don't provide for you. I provide for you. I provide for you. Stop looking out and start looking up. Stop looking for tomorrow's bread and start trusting me for your daily bread. Did you track that? In fact, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he said this, Satan came up to him and said, he said, just take those stones, Jesus, and turn them into bread. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And in fact, I think I have that here. No. I don't know what I'm doing. So he goes on and he says this. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. He says that in Matthew 4.4. 4. He says it in Luke 4.4 4 as well. 
but it really goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Listen to this. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. What sustains life? I was just talking with uh, Pastor Dylan this morning, and he talked about an island off of Italy that they found that people are living to 100 years of age, and it's because they're living off of, actually, they're, they're not eating as much meat. They're actually eating bread and pasta, which totally goes against the cardio diet and the, the paleo diet, right? But I got to stop eating. I didn't grab breakfast, sorry. But God's saying, if your bodies need food, how much more does your soul and if bread only, I mean, think about it. How many of you this week, this month, this year, went to grab a loaf of something in the kitchen and found mold on it? You can't store it for a long period of time. You can't bake for the rest of your life and be all set. God created us in such a way that we're dependent upon him physically, that we need to continually eat, we need to continually trust him for that provision, but also spiritually in that Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven, I am the word of God, that we need God's word daily as much as we need God's, as much as we need food daily. And God said, stop looking to tomorrow and stocking up and putting your life in cruise control, trust me. But the problem with you and I is that we tend to rave and crave. And when I say the word rave, I don't mean the party, like a rave. Pretty much half of you in this room didn't get that, and you're all over the age of 40. The rest of you got what a rave is. But um, if you're over the age of 40 and you got what I meant by a rave, just wave your hand. You're well-informed. Gotcha. The Krakos. You better not be raving. So... Raving means to talk wild and incoherent as if somebody's delirious or insane. And if you were to listen to the speech of the people of Israel, they were like, we, we want this, we want that. I just got... You ever talk to a kid when they're all riled up and they're, they're, they're totally irrational? Or somebody who's just totally in full-on emotional panic mode? They make no sense. They're just talking from the, the adrenaline of the situation and not the logic of it. And they're just... Oh, and they were just freaking out. They were throwing a temper tantrum. It's like a two-year-old temper tantrum. And, and, and they're craving what they want. They're craving the food that they wish that they could have. And God's saying, listen, stop raving and craving. And he says this in Psalm 78, 18 and 19. And then verses 29 and 30. Listen to this. They tested God in their heart, demanding, that the, demanding the food that they craved. You know, if you, my, one, of, one of my friends, he, he was a millionaire. He grew up with nothing in the projects. He became a millionaire, and then he lost everything. And he used to say this to me all the time. He's one of the few people I've ever seen who has lost everything and is okay with it. Everybody else, they're destroyed for the rest of their life. He's like, we had the money when the kids were young. At least we had that. Uh, some of us will never have a lot of finances like that. And maybe that's why, because it, it, God doesn't want us to just let our happiness be dependent on that. But he said, Paul, he goes, if you order steak and God, if you order hot dog and God put hot dog on the menu, you're good. But he says, if God orders a steak and you, and if God orders a hot dog and you ask for steak, you're on your own. The bill's yours. You got to be content with what God gives you. And they were craving, like it's almost like they said, God, you, you, thanks for nothing. You know, here we are, we're following you. Now it's supposed to be like um, that book, right? Your best life now. Well, it's my best life now, and all I've got is this lousy meat, this lousy bread. Like, where's the, where's the land of milk and honey? Where are the goats? Where are the bees? Where's all this wonderful stuff? Where's the farmland? And we're, we're in this wilderness, and the problem was they got stuck in that wilderness for 40 years unnecessarily because they couldn't learn the lesson to not be people of complaining, to take their eyes off of the idea that God provides our needs, not our greeds. God provides our needs. Sometimes he prevents, our, prevents and pre prepares and gives us our wants. But in the end, we have everything we need in him. 
He said they tested them in their heart. By demanding the food that they craved, they spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? David's reply to that is, the Lord prepares a table for me before my enemies. They're saying, can God really feed us in the wilderness? And they spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? They ate, and they were well filled, for he gave them what they craved, but before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouth, God's anger rose against them, and he killed them. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Well, that's actually the second half of the story. See, the first time when the Israelites had needed water, they whined, God gave it to them. When they needed food, God, they whined, God gave them quail and manna. But the difference is the second time that it happened. If you look at the green spots there, that's the first time that they whined and God gave them what they needed. But then they entered into a covenant relationship with God. And the moment after God said, I'm your Lord, you need to trust me. And they began to fail at that. God said, well, then you're going to live with the consequences. And in fact, what's interesting is, is that every single test where God threatened them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, he gave it to them without judgment before Mount Sinai. He said to them, I'll provide water for you and struck the rock. He did that before Mount Sinai. He gave them water and turned it bitter water sweet before Mount Sinai. He gave them manna and, and quail before Mount Sinai. And every single one of those times, he was patient with them. But after they entered into a covenant relationship and he said, this is what I expect from you, this is what I demand from you. When those same patterns repeated themselves again and again, God brought the pain to change them, and he judged them. So what does this mean? Like, if I'm in a relationship with Jesus and I don't do it right, he's going to judge us? No. But when you allow your life to be one of complaining and murmuring, my goodness, that'll destroy your life faster than meth and heroin ever will. Because God put a table in there not for us, but for him to help us understand that just as sure as bread needs to be refreshed regularly, our lives need to be refreshed with God's word, just as sure as we need it refreshed with food, and it may not be what we want to hear, and it may not be what we want to eat, it may not be what we crave, but God does not provide our wants. He provides our needs. That's hard sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong, God lavishes us at different times. No doubt about it. I can understand Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Let me read this to you. It says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me... And it's, so first thing he's saying, he's saying, God, I, I just pray two things. If you were to ask for two things from heaven, what would it be? The writer, this, this, this person, which is towards the end, it's not Solomon, it's, it's uh, I forget his name, Agiar or something like that. He's a, he's a wise individual, but he, lasts, he writes those last two. He says this, he says, he says, God, I'm just asking you two things. First, don't let me be a person of deceit. Don't let me be a person of duplicity. Do you know some of the most important parts of of communication and relationship with people is the same as it is with God. You got to understand what you hear and say what you mean, even if it hurts. Second thing, though, he says this. He says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful. In other words, it translates better, but give me daily bread. Help me so that I be, help me to have daily bread, lest I be full and deny you. So in other words, don't give me too much, God, that I stockpile it so that my heart turns away from you as if I don't need you in my life. But then also that you wouldn't give me so little that I would feel that I need to steal and, and dishonor your name. Here's one of the great men, one of the great books, 
And if Solomon had written it, the fact that it was thrown in there, Solomon might have seen it wise enough to put it in with a guy who in his day, gold was as abundant as rocks. And he said, yeah, there's something to this. We need more than just our needs met. We need daily bread. We need that dependency. In other words, he's saying, God, keep me honest and keep me dependent on you. Keep me honest and keep me dependent on you. Maybe the truth of the matter, if I'd be honest with you, is, is that I rave for what I crave, but God wants me to be thankful for him for what I already have. That when I lack joy, it could be proportionate to my lack of thanksgiving for what he's given me and more of an issue of me coveting what I don't have that I really want and crave. That maybe I've not been faithful with gratitude for the little God's given me, and that's why I lack much more, because I haven't learned how to be a person of gratitude for what I have, a good steward of that. God gives us what we need, not always what we desire. God has been faithful to us, and we might be mistaking our skill and our labor and our ingenuity apart from God as if it's the hand of success and blessing in our life. Many of us, we, we work jobs, right? Here's the interesting thing. This table is to remind them that God provides for their needs. But who made the table? They did. Who changed the bread every day? They did. I mean, if this is God's table, then why isn't God changing the bread? Why doesn't he just bring down a table from heaven? Because if the truth of the matter is, is that God does provide for our needs, but the very strength that you have, the very skill that you have, the very opportunities that you've been given have not come because you are such a dazzling, wonderful, incredible, handsome individual like me, but because God gave them to you as a, to be a good steward of them. And that God hands us what we need, and, we, and what he looks for us is gratitude and thanks and praise to him. There are so many people that I know that have accomplished accomplished so much, that have done so much, and they have never so much as given God a thanks. In fact, they say, you know what? I don't, I don't need him. I don't want him. I don't want him as a part of my life. And you know what? God's like, I can't be a part of your life unless you let me be a part of it. But I would rather have God in my life and have the presence of the God of the bread and the bread of the presence acknowledging him than to have an entire warehouse full of gold and be rejected by him. This is a table that reminds us that we say thanks, that we're to be, we're to be thankful, we're to be grateful. We're, and what's interesting is, is in our day, we, give, we say grace, right? Any of you, any, how many of my former Catholics in the house, maybe even present Catholics, thank you, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty, our Lord, Jesus Christ, amen, right? And as Christians, we say, Lord, bless this food, and the hands that what? That prepared it. So now we're just not just thanking God for the food, but we're thanking mom, you know, or whoever it was. Or if you're eating your own meal and you say, thank you, O Lord, for this food. And these hands that prepared it. You know, however it is that's going down, right? But that's not what the Jewish people do. You see this whole idea of gratitude and table and thanks and grace. In the Christian world, it came back in a time where there wasn't refrigeration and you had to bless the food because you may get food poisoning and die. It's the same thing when you would sneeze. Choo. You know what people would say to you? Say, what do we say it today? Say it, go ahead. Choo. God bless you. God bless you because you're going to probably die because you're sick and there's no such thing as penicillin. God bless you. That's where that comes from. But what's interesting about this table and giving thanks is that Jewish people don't pray for the food at the beginning. They actually sing a song of praise after the meal's been eaten called Berkat Hamazon. Look at this. I want to show you a bunch of kids together singing this song. And I'm going to leave you guys to do it because I don't know if I have uh, anything. But turn, unmute it right from the gate. And I'm going to click on it, and if it doesn't automatically play, you could do it.
So think, think about that for a second. That beats any prayer I've ever prayed at a meal, right? Lord, thank you for this food. Here's the thing that I love about Judea Judaism and my friends who are Jewish. And by the way, I'm so sorry about that pig last week on the platform, but we're a Gentile church. So bacon, cheeseburger, all the way, baby. But he here's the thing is, is that, that for them, celebration and dancing and singing is not a hang-up for them. We're just kind of like, well, I used to go to the clubs and the rave, you know, so, so now I'm just going to be reserved, and we're worried about what people think. And, and what they do is, is they celebrate. Do you see the little children that were just, oh, I just sat back and I said, I wish that we had prayers and songs that were connected to our God that were just part of service that we sang at the beginning, but they were a part of what every meal that we had and every single festival that we celebrated the thing about christianity in the 21st century is, is that we've we've received the book of psalms but we've lost the ability to sing and celebrate and they instill this in their kids and they and they say we're not going to pray that god blesses the food what we're going to do is what god really wants we're going to thank him for what he's given us and they sing a prayer of blessing and it's four things it's the the land of israel it's it's for the lord it's for the 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 food and there's one other thing that they all put they they just thank god for everything they're like lord this food comes to us, it has to be blessed because you've given it to us and we just want to celebrate it. And they get their children celebrating it. And half of you, if your kids started standing up during grace time and started clapping when they were on their chairs, you'd be like, sit down right now. What do you think you're doing, you know? And so, good timing, E. Barhat Hamazon is is the blessing the grace, the gratitude for the food. See, I don't know where you're at, but I know that we all get to a place sometimes where we have our needs met, but we're not satisfied. And we're a little bit disappointed because we expected so much more. Or maybe it's like that moment where you dig in the garbage and you grab a turkey sandwich and we've lost, we say, God bless this food, and we zip through it. But this was a table of celebration. And the people realized that they did the work, but it was God that gave them the ability to do it. They baked the bread, but it was God that brought the grain. And we always partner with God. We always partner with God. God doesn't just drop lotto tickets from out of heaven. We always partner with God. And he's made it that we always have to depend on him. You always have to depend on him. He always makes it so that you can't just take your relationship with Jesus way back here and that it's going to carry over just fine because in time it gets moldy. You need a daily bread. There's a rabbi who was at Yeshiva University in, in this Jewish university. A, an old gentleman had a number right on his hand from the Holocaust. He sat down and began to pray Barachat Hamazon. He began to pray his gratefulness for the bread after he'd eaten. And he'd watch him, and every time he did this, he was like, Sir, I just see you pray for your brachat hamazon, hamazon every week, and 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 it's just so beautiful. And I I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, what? Ha, just tell me your secret. Because if you've ever seen, just like you you and I, oh Lord, thank you for these this food. We pray that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. I got so tired of ritual praying that uh, in my house, there came a point where when we would pray for the food, we'd kind of do this. Just help me with one hand. I'd be like, are you grateful? And Ethan would be like, I'm grateful. And then we'd go like this. Like, thank you, Lord. Because that was more sincere than it was. Oh, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for these gifts and the bounty. I prayed, oh, Lord, amen. And I said, you know what, boys? Are you grateful? Yeah, I'm grateful. Let's thank God. Lord, thank you so much. And it was like this sincere moment. But he said to him, I, I just can't get, what, what is it about your brachat hamazon that's just so beautiful? And he said, well, God gave me a promise. Whenever I prayed my brachat hamazon as a child, that God would always provide bread for me. And as he provided bread for me, World War II came. And I was recruited by the Nazis to have to cook food. 
And so one time they, in the middle of the war, they looked at me and they said, look, a fat Jew. I don't say that derogatory. I just say this is what they were saying. They said, a fat Jew. And they told them, they said, you go out and you dig. In one hour, we want a ditch two meters deep, two meters wide. That's a big task if you've ever done digging. There's no way you could get that done in an hour. So I threw him out there. And he's digging, and he's like, this is going to be my grave. And as he's there, another group of soldiers walk by, and they see him in the pit, and they spit on him. And they're finishing their lunch, and they take bread as they're eating. All of them have bread, and they take a bite. They spit the bread in his face, and then they chuck what they had left in his hand. Although his face was covered with bread spit, he had a pile of bread and he looked over and he saw a whole bunch of other Jewish brothers starving to death. He said, if you come here and help me dig this ditch, I'll give you all of this bread. And they did. And when the Nazis came back and the other Jews that helped him dig were gone, they looked at him and they looked at the ditch because they knew that he wasn't going to get this done. And they said, he's got it done. They said, not only is he a fat Jew, but he's also a smart one. Let's keep him in case he becomes useful. And he said, even in my worst hour, I give I give thanks to God because I've always had my daily bread. Always had my daily bread. This is a bread in the presence of God. And here's the thing. Many of us have not had a breakthrough in the presence of God in a long time. And I think it's because we need a berkat hamazon in our own life. See, I, I was giving thought to this a couple of weeks ago when we had prayer here, and I was walking around, and, you know, sometimes I feel like we're kind of almost a Presbyterian church because I'm like, come on, just praise him. Praise him with your own mouth. Praise him with your own words. And many of you, you're just kind of like, thank you, Lord. But... If you were that Jewish man, what would your, and you endured what he endured, what would your Bechat Hamazon look like? What would your prayer of thanksgiving for the meal be? Are you grateful for what you have? You see, praise always precedes provision from God. Thanks always precedes blessing from God. You need to cultivate something in your life and that is praising God before the blessing. And what I want us to do here as an active response this morning is for us to stand to our feet. And we are going to have our own Berkat Hamazon moment. Not over just bread, because man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of Father. Has God blessed you? Let me ask you that question. You respond with your own mouth, so your pastor. God has ears, I got ears. I want to hear you. Has God blessed you? Okay, absolutely, right? You can do that. Has, you, may, you, you may not have a father, but you have a mother. You may not have a father, uh, a mother, but you have a father. Do you have a parent that was in your life? Okay. If you didn't have a parent, did you have somebody that filled in the gap there for you in your life? Do you know what it's like to eat out of the trash? Do you know what it's like to lose a job? Do you know what it's like to be on the brink of losing a marriage? Have you, have you been at that place and, and it was so desperate and it was so difficult? And have you ever been in that place where you had no friends? And then you realized, God is my friend. What has God done for you? I'm not just talking about bread because we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that God has spoken and wants to speak into your life. And he has many precious promises. But here's what we're going to do. My son's going to turn up the volume on his keyboard and across this room, and this pastor is going to just go through there and give you a holy high five slap here if you don't do it. But I'm telling you, I want you with your own mouth to begin to thank God. Close your eyes. Forget about the person next to you. And just begin to thank God with your own mouth. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Not just thank you, but I want you to put words to it. What it is, Lord, thank you that you brought me from eating out of a trash pail to having a table spread. 
Thank you for opening up the nation of Israel 20 times for me. You hear me? I can totally go all day for you. But you know what? I can't thank God for you. You have to do it for yourself. And we as a church, we have become people of the word. We've become people of praise. And we've become people of God's presence. But what we need to be is people of the Berchat Hamazon, the people of thankfulness that go to the table and say, God, thank you. It could be so much worse. Come on, call out to him. I can't do this for you. I can't do it for you. I won't do it for you. God needs to hear it from you. Thank you for pulling us out of abuse, Jesus. But Katamazon, thank you, Lord. We bless you for the table that maybe not be what we craved, but what we needed. But what we needed. Oh God, don't give us so much that we forget you. Don't give us too little that we steal and disgrace you, but give us daily bread. It's called the bread of his presence because God's presence is found in praise. Oh my goodness, when the music's done and it's gone, have you ever taken time in, in, in the lateness of the night or early in the morning and dropped to your knees and said, oh God, I just want to thank you. I want to praise you in my pain. I want to praise you in my lack. I I want to say that I acknowledge that you provide everything I have. My goodness, when you have nothing in front of you, nothing in front of you, that's when God listens greater than ever before. Could it be that our lack of God's presence is because of an empty lack of gratitude, of berchat hamazon, of praise for God is missing in our life? Let's just give it to him one more time. Just praise him with your mouth. Come on, out loud. Come on, let's make a concert of praise. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're so grateful, Lord. Lord, help us to learn the difference between our cravings and our needs. And that we are never alone. And we are never without provision. We praise you. 